This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The reason we started during the pandemic was because nobody could go anywhere. And now that people can go places, the reason that we continue to do OC is different. And it has to be different. If we just continue like trying to market OC as like, oh, well, if you can't get out of the house, then you should come to OC, then no one's gonna come because people can get out of the house, you know? Welcome to the Violin Podcast, where we have conversations with violinists from around the world discussing practice tips, career advice, and other violin-related topics. My name is Eric, and I want to thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Violin Podcast. In this week's episode, I get to speak with Strings Insiders founder, Alyssa Tong. And Alyssa Tong is a recent graduate of the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And I get to chat with her in regards to forming Strings Insiders, how the idea came about, how she formulated an incredible online community, and some of her next steps in her violin career and maybe possibly arts administration. So let's dive right into the episode. Alyssa, welcome to the Violin Podcast. I am excited to meet you and I'm excited to talk to you because right now at the moment, you're just about to graduate and you don't have a jury which I'm so excited for you. I yeah, if if you're listening on audio, she kind of did a little whew with her <laughs> with her head, uh with her hand. But I want to dive into some of your latest successes as a violinist and an entrepreneur. And you'll be graduating from the San Francisco Conservatory. Tell us about your experience there and particularly what did you play in your recital because I'm curious. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here and um yeah, it's an honor, actually. Um, I am graduating from SFCM in May and very excited to be done, finally. <laughs> um, I'm not going to I played Strassonata, I played Manuel de Faya's Sweet Popular Espanol, and my quartet played Haydn, Opus 20, number two. Wait, number four. Sorry, I forgot the number. Um, D major. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I think probably my favorite part about playing a recital is when you get to play with people. So um, having my quartet play was really special for me. Um, and I've really enjoyed my time at SFCM. If anyone's thinking about applying, definitely do it. Um, the community is amazing. And I've grown a lot through my time here at SFCM. So it's been a really wonderful experience, a great school. Great. I mean, there's problems everywhere, but I think SFCM's problems are lesser <laughs> in comparison to some other places. Sure, yeah, of course, every every school has its ups and downs. And despite San Francisco Conservatory not being sponsored of this Violin Podcast episode, I mean, it's always interesting to know where <clears throat> where students are kind of finding themselves in the music world and how their musical lives are being shaped at these conservatories. You know, our mentors and our violin teachers orchestra, you know, director, teachers, all of those teachers have a huge influence on our lives. And I want us to dive into that. What are some of your influences as of right now, um, as you're about to be um, being shipped off into the real world? Can you tell us a little bit about what's going through your mind right now? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I have been always most inspired by chamber musicians. Um, not that there's anything wrong with orchestra, but uh, my upbringing in high school was so chamber music focused. It's really impacted me a lot. Um, so I think some of my biggest mentors, I mean, right now, Suvin Kim is one of my big mentors. He teaches at NEC, so I don't study violin with him, but just as an artistic um, person to look up to, he's really wonderful. And then also, I just really uh, admire all the things that he does because he's such a well-rounded person and musician. So he doesn't just play, he doesn't just teach, he teaches, he plays, he is the artistic director of some festivals, he kind of does it all. Um, so he's a big inspiration for me. And then my own teacher, Simon James at SFCM is a big inspiration. He also is very entrepreneurial. So he's started a lot of businesses actually. And just talking to him about the different things that go through his brain is really inspiring. Very cool. Um, yeah, those are some big influences. And I would say uh, Stefan Jakiv is also a big musical inspiration because I love his playing. Um, it's really incredible. And he's teaching at the Online Solo Strings Intensive this summer, which is really awesome. And anyone who works with him is very lucky. We're going to be talking about the Strings Insiders program that you've developed over the pandemic. But I want to kind of circle back on what you said about the whole <clears throat> entrepreneurial endeavors. The String Insiders is definitely a entrepreneurial endeavor. And while other musicians during the pandemic were really scared about what to do with their music careers, you're still in school at the time. And you kind of went into the fire to just try to like provide a lot of value for the online community. Everyone was, you know, online, digital. What kind of went into your head and what inspired you to come up with this idea for this online workshop? Yeah, so actually I started String Insiders before um, the pandemic. And I started with something called the Strings Virtual Summit, which was first hosted in August 2019, but I was working on it from like January, December 2018, etc. Um, and that project was a conference of, it was kind of podcast style where I would do interviews and I edited them and then released them during one week in August. So it was like five days. 30 interviews. It was a lot of content. Um, but I was just sitting down with artists um, from all over the world and just asking them questions about specific topics. And that kind of actually springboarded into the online solo strings intensive that I started during the pandemic because I had already had connections with a lot of these really major teachers and artists. And then the pandemic was, I could see it coming around the corner. And I was kind of anticipating like, wow, if everything gets shut down, like China shutting down, like if everything gets shut down here, like what are people going to do over the summer? And so I actually called Mr. Cantor and I just, he was also a mentor of mine. And I was like, I have this idea. Do you think this is a terrible idea? Is anyone going to sign up for this? And he was like, no, do it, go for it. I'll be on your faculty if Aspen shuts down. And it did. <laughs> and so that was kind of my springboard. Um, yeah, I think I was inspired because I had already had these conversations with other musicians um, and had already kind of delved into the online community and kind of already brainstormed what online community could look like. What's fascinating is the anticipation of this problem. You, you saw it coming. And I kind of felt that way, too. When when I started the Violin Podcast, you know, 
for listeners who are just coming across the violin podcast for the first time. The story is I, I already had previous experience podcasting on another podcast. And I go, what are the odds of violinpodcast.com being available? So I literally go on GoDaddy, type in violinpodcast.com. There was the domain. And it was like, okay, I have this business idea and now I want to provide value to the online community. And that's kind of the same way how you kind of start. I mean, of course, you just said that it started before, but it really kind of catapulted during the pandemic because everyone was trying to search for content and search for value online. So tell us about the success of the of the festival and what have you learned from it? What are some 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 pros and some cons based on your experience? Yeah, it's actually been a really interesting experience how it's changed over the years. So we're doing it again this summer because there's still a need for it. Um, students are still either not able to travel because they live in, let's say, Korea, or um, they don't want to travel because it's too expensive. And actually, some of the teachers who teach at OC only teach online at OC during the summer. Um, for instance, Steven Kim doesn't teach anywhere else. Um, so it's really a great opportunity for students to be able to connect with these specific teachers who don't teach at other festivals, or even Stefan, he only teaches at a couple places. Um, and so um, still need, but it's been interesting to see how it's changed. So the very first one um, was so different Everyone was really looking for connection. And so we had daily lunch hour where people would just get on Zoom and like hang out. And that was a really big, like actually a lot of people joined. And there was a lot of social events that we did that people would come to game nights. And some of actually from the first OC, there were like a group, there was a group of maybe 10 kids and they stayed in touch throughout the entire year. They would do their own daily lunch zooms like daily every day for like the entire year because it was during the pandemic and like they found connection through OC and a lot of them ended up going to the same summer festivals or schools the next year and they like became friends because of this online program which I think is like one of the most rewarding things and also students who were able to meet their teachers for the first time on zoom um, and then subsequently get into those schools with those teachers like Ani Kavafian. I had a student who studied with her for the first time at OC and then got into her studio. Same with Suvin and Mr. Cantor. It's just been really rewarding to see how these connections have actually shaped people's lives in the real world. And that's been really, really wonderful. Um, we had 105 students at our first iteration. And then after that, we did a winter one that was like 82, I think. And then the summer after that, 104 students. And then we did another one last summer. And then this summer will be our fifth one. So it's really, really amazing to see all these people um, who are able to really have connection over Zoom, even though the pandemic is kind of over at this point. Um, it's been really, really awesome to see. That's amazing. And what I find, what you're actually missing a kind of a big chunk in your story because people don't understand how much work you put in. I've been following you on your Instagram. I saw you put all the envelopes, all the flyers you've been mailing out to different schools. And I, I understand how much work you put in. I don't think many people realize 
what a big endeavor it is just to start up something from scratch by yourself. Um, have you had any help with this besides your mentors? Like, were you the the one solopreneur trying to do all the marketing, doing all the website design, doing all the all the events? Was that you or did you have a team? It's mostly me. Um, I do a lot of the vision planning and a lot of the planning ahead. So I am the one who hires the faculty and all that stuff. And I do a lot of the marketing as well. It's mostly me, um, but I have had help recently. So the very first one, my assistant was Fiona Shea, who studies at Colburn. And she was really instrumental to me in helping me figure out schedules and do all this stuff. Cause as you said, lots of logistics. And we also, at the time, nobody was familiar with Zoom or with online lessons in general. So we had to do a lot of training of faculty and of students to have good setups so they could have good lessons. And um, so there was a lot of work for that as well. Um, but I did have Fiona helping me pretty much for the few weeks leading up to the festival and during the festival. But I did a lot of the prep work and the marketing and the recruiting and all of that stuff. And then um, after Fiona stopped working for me, um, I've had Lydia Ray help me and she's an amazing cellist. She's at Juilliard right now. And so we are kind of tag teaming it. So these days she's a lot more involved in the project and she really helps me um, even with some vision planning and some marketing things. Um, but yeah, for a while it was, I would say mostly me and it's still um, probably, it's not 50, 50. I do more, more of the work, but um, Lydia is really instrumental. So at the moment, it's pretty much just two of us and we kind of run the whole thing. I'd love to help out in any capacity. That would be a really cool project to be a part of if if there's a need, of course. But okay. my, you are graduating from San Francisco Conservatory right now. What are your plans for the future? I mean, you have this project. Now, is your plan to teach? Is your plan to perform? Maybe a little bit of both? What's do you have any idea what you want to be doing? Yeah, I am actually really interested in arts administration coming out of these projects that have been happening. It's a really interesting place to be when I've never worked for an actual arts organization before starting my own. That's like such an, an interesting place to be um, because I don't have a model to follow and I've had mentors and I've talked to them, but you know, every experience is different. And so for my small organization, the process to getting grants and to marketing and recruiting students is very different from, say, Aspen. Um, so it's been really interesting to kind of jump into my own thing. So I'm actually kind of trying to go backwards a little bit and um, see how other organizations do it. So I'm going to see what I can do with organizations in the city see if I can work with one or multiple of them um, and just kind of see what their perspective is and how they run as mid-size and large organizations. Um, and then definitely still performing, doing some freelancing in the area. I'm going to stay in San Francisco um, and I teach a little bit just online. So nothing too heavy. I'm not planning to teach full time, but definitely performing and some arts work uh, administration. I've always find it as a solopreneur also to kind of diversify as well. If you if I just do one thing full time, I get bored. Do you find that to be the case for you also? I, I for me, I'm like I can't just be teaching full time. I need to be performing so that way I can feed my 
students with my knowledge. Do you, do you find that to be the case also? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think like being able to do one thing is like really tough for me. <laughs> I definitely, it's not only that I get bored. I would say that like, it's harder to manage my time when I don't have multiple things because um, it's just more interesting and more exciting to me to have different things going on. And then when I have to do just one thing, I have a hard time focusing, to be honest. It's easy to just like switch for me and get more things done. That's one of the beautiful things about having a music career, because you're not just limited to one thing. And when an opportunity comes up, you can take it and learn from the experience. You don't, you're not just limited to classical. You're not just limited to teaching quartet. Actually, I gave a, a lecture at Virginia Commonwealth University about this topic, about the different diversification of your whole music business model. And having the opportunity to know a little bit of everything makes your career way more exciting and less dull. So that's it's great to see and to hear that you're going that path because that's a very similar path I took. And I think that's the path that we're going to start seeing even more with the latest graduates of today's generation. You know, back in 2015, when I graduated, I was one of the few people that did not go straight into a master's because I was thinking about the things that you are, you are thinking about now. I mean, you're way savvier than I am <laughs> in that sense. But I, I was thinking about those things. How can I provide value? What does the market need? And like, what is the demand supply conversation? And that's what I was really trying to figure out with the rise of social media. I mean, Instagram was kind of big in 2015, but now you have to be everywhere on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Although we'll see what happens with the TikTok ban if it ever happens. But but yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating conversation. And I like to talk about these business ideas on the violin podcast for, for musicians like you and I to kind of start thinking about and to continue thinking about, because what, what is interesting for me, what you said was the first iteration of OC was vastly different than what it is now. And I, that's a trend that I want the listeners of the violin podcast to really take into account because if you are kind of staying with the same model and you're not growing, then how will your audience grow with you? And I think that's, yeah. that's an that's important true. thing to realize. Yeah. I mean, I can also say that the reason we started during the pandemic was because nobody could go anywhere. And now that people can go places, the reason that we continue to do OC is different and it has to be different. If we just continue like trying to market OC as like, oh, well, if you can't get out of the house, then you should come to OC, then no one's going to come because people can get out of the house, you know? And if I say, oh, are you looking for connection online? Well, most people aren't at this point. Most people like don't need to. But if I highlight different things, like if you live internationally, you can still participate in this program and you don't have to fly all the way to the US to study with these teachers. And if I highlight that, hey, these teachers only teach at OC, then there's a different need and there's a different desire for students to actually study online. Um, I've also brought up, you know, there are a lot of older students who are in their master's degrees and can't necessarily give up summertime working and freelancing to go to Aspen for eight weeks, for instance. And so for me highlighting, this is an opportunity for you to still be inspired and get lessons from these amazing teachers, 
while also having the flexibility if you're doing competitions, if you're like freelancing, if you have to work your barista job or whatever to make ends meet, like you're still able to come to this festival for a lower cost. Um, so yeah, I would just say, like you said, it's really important to grow with your audience and to like reevaluate every year what you're doing. And if it's, if the growth has changed or shifted um, and how you can best serve your audience. But that's really relevant to us as musicians. If we continue to play Bach the entire time, I love, I love Bach, but if we continue to play the solo partitas and sonatas the, the entire time and not explore anything new, then that's when classical music really is dying, <laughs> right? And I that's the whole point of this podcast. The vision is the same to help, you know, people become better violinists through conversations about the violin, about music careers and practice tips. And we'll definitely get to those in a moment. But yeah, I I feel that I have grown with my audience. I've searched for feedback on my own YouTube channel. What are some of the trends that people are searching for? and kind of adapt to those trends. I think these are all ridiculously um, valuable. And if you're not taking notes, you should be when you're listening <laughs> because it's important. My my next question for you for is more violin related. So we, I for some reason, I always skip this step when I introduce guests, but I always do things backwards. Let's take a look at how you began your journey with the violin. And I want to get to know your upbringing, how did you start and maybe go from there? Sure. Well, I'm actually the oldest of seven kids. So there's a lot of kids in my household. And um, from an early age, my mom wanted me to play an instrument, um, typical Asian mom. And so she started me on piano when I was four, I guess. And then I did it for like six months and I didn't like it. So she was like, why don't you try violin? So I did, and apparently it stuck. I can't remember what I was like at five years old. But yeah, that's how I got started. It had apparently been something that I really liked doing. And I started doing pre-college conservatory at the Merritt School of Music in Chicago when I was in high school. I guess maybe I was seventh Wait, or eighth grade. Wait, you're from grade. Chicago? Yes. Oh my, so am I. <laughs> I didn't know this really? about you. Yes, I'm from the North Shore. Really? Yes. That's amazing. I grew up in Rogers Park. Okay, yeah, I grew up on the North Shore. Yeah, like in the Glenview, Wilmette, Winnetka area. Very nice. Amazing, yeah. Very nice. Merritt School of Music. Is a... A lot of yeah, there are a lot of good violinists that come from, from Chicago. You're one of them, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, experiencing growing up in Chicago and like in that music scene as a high schooler was really great for me. Um, and Merritt was really formative also for me for chamber music and for orchestra and community. And it's funny how often like I run into people and I'm like, oh, I know that person. And they're like, what? <laughs> you went to high school with that person? So that's really funny. Um, but I enjoy that aspect a lot. And then I yeah, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do music after high school. And I actually applied to college for a few different things. I applied to Kelly School of Business and to a few liberal arts colleges for English and then University of Illinois for violin. Urbana Champagne. I got that's the, that's the U of I. Yeah, Urbana Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it kind of yeah decided it for me so I was lucky to go there and learned a lot while I was there at times I was like why am I here but it was it was really good at U of I so I'm glad I went yeah yeah I remember doing Allstate in Peoria Yep. Good old Peoria, yep. Illinois. If you have ever <laughs> visited Peoria, you know what I'm talking about. Actually, I had a student go to Peoria for a completely separate thing other than music. And she's like, yeah, there's literally nothing there. That's so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Illinois. I mean, Peoria is kind of like dead center. So all the districts would go to Peoria and then we would have this festival like on the ice rink. And then you would have like the Allstate choir, the band and the orchestra, and our feet would be freezing to death. And we played Stravinsky Rite of Spring. <laughs> the, like the, the sacrificial, imagine like the sacrificial dance in like an, a Peoria, Illinois ice rink where you have two other groups. And we were like the first ones. We had to wait throughout the entire hour and a half for everyone to finish. And my feet were freezing <laughs> until the end. That's brutal. It was brutal, but it's no U of I is a great music school. Um, didn't Gil Shaham go to U of I? I feel like he or or he taught. I actually, I don't know. I want to search that up. You might be right. I, I, that sounds right. I'm going to search that up for our because this is important for our violin audience. Uh, college, or maybe he was just born there, or maybe or something like that that could also. No, he was born in Urbana. Okay. He was born there, but I mean, I think he went to he went to Juilliard, and of course, yeah, yeah. So I got that mixed up for some reason. I think maybe I'm thinking of someone else, but yeah, he was born in Urbana, Illinois. So funny. Yeah, so it, it all comes back to the Midwest. You know, the Chicago, <laughs> you know, Midwestern people. It's just funny. It's, it's great to to make a a, fo a fellow Chicago. I mean, I'm not a true Chicago. I was born in Chicago proper, and then was and then I moved up to the North Shore, up north, I guess. Um, so anyway, yeah, Chicago born and raised. So I have sorry that I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you though, um, how much of the Chicago Symphony? growing up played a role in your musical development. I remember when I was, I think, a senior in high school, that's when Ricardo Muti was in its inaugural season at the Chicago Symphony. And I remember the story very clearly. And I was with a friend of mine at the time. We went to the gala performance and Anne-Sophie Mutter was a headliner. She was playing Beethoven violin concerto. But it turns out Ricardo Muti showed up backstage and he was really ill. So we were waiting for maybe half an hour trying to figure out what was going on. This made news. I don't know if you I don't know if you remember this story, but it turns out they were supposed to do like Beethoven 7, but they ended up doing maybe Mozart 35, Hoffner Symphony, and Beethoven Violin Concerto with Anne Sophie Mutter. And it was all conductorless. So imagine Robert Chen, concert master of Chicago Symphony, uh, was leading from the the first chair. And that was to me the most incredible piece of leadership musician musicianship and artistry by all the members of the chicago symphony i will never forget that till the day i die and i try to try to share that story whenever i can to show like leadership in music is so crucial 
Have you had a moment? Uh, that yeah. I, so I guess my long form question was like, did the Chicago Symphony have an influence on you? Definitely it did. I remember going to Symphony Hall as a high schooler. But yeah, it's really, that's such an interesting question. I've always been more of like a chamber musician mm. growing up or just more interested or more moved by chamber music than orchestra. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. I remember like, I would say more formative for me was going to Ravinia mm, yeah. and like Emerson quartet play. And I mean, I would see the CSO also at Ravinia, but I just have really good memories of going to Ravinia and seeing chamber ensembles play there. Ravinia is a really cool place. I recommend anyone who is in the Midwest or in Chicago go to Highland Park and attend a concert, even non-classical to in Ravinia. It's a great place. It's kind of similar. It's like the Midwest of Tanglewood, if you know what Tanglewood is, where you can go out, have a picnic, bring you know some wine, some cheese, yeah. enjoy a wonderful concert on, in the outdoors. It's kind of really great. Um, it's interesting about yeah, it's your beautiful. experience as a chamber musician because I was really focused on orchestral music. I really loved orchestra. I loved mm. that for me that that concert with Ricardo Muti and Robert Chen at the helm, like a, as a concert master, really inspired me to be an orchestral musician. I mean, I do orchestra on the side now. I'm not full time for other reasons. But yeah, I, I would say growing up, that's that would be the case. I would be more into orchestra than chamber music. And to be honest, I really wasn't aware of chamber music so intimately. Like what, what brought you closer to chamber music when growing up? Like what, what about it made you like, wow, I can see myself doing this. I think it must've been the people because when I got to Merit, I was put into one of the good quartets and I don't know, that experience was so important to me, not just like having friends, but just like feeling like I was really impacting the group, you know? Hmm. And like having that leadership that I feel like even as a second violinist, there's more leadership than if you sit in the back of the first violins, which is not necessarily true. But to me as a high schooler, it felt like that, that I was actually contributing something um, and that my part mattered a lot. So that was, um, yeah, very formative for me, just like the experience of playing in chamber music and definitely listening to recordings. But I'm trying to think of recordings that I've really loved. I I used to listen to, there was a WQXR series where they played all of the Beethoven quartets in the studio. And I remember watching the Ying Quartet play 18-4. And because we were working on that piece at the time. And I think I watched that YouTube video like so many times. And that was when Ayano Minamaya was on first violin with the Yings and which is funny because now Ayano is teaching at OC this summer so full circle um but yeah it that recording was so impactful to me as a musician I remember that's one of the first um recordings I really loved and then um I think Julia Fisher's Mendelssohn concerto was also one that I really loved um yeah so there's some recordings I can think of but 
Yeah. It might have just been the environment of chamber music was so important to my coach and to the other members in the ensemble that I was like, okay, it's important. <laughs> and that's definitely carried with me throughout my entire career of like being in school. It's just been always chamber has been the focus for me. Can you give tips on your experience as a chamber musician? What are some things that you look for or what have you experienced that kind of helped you go to the next level in terms of your chamber music playing? Not violin technique wise, which we'll get to in a moment, but like as a whole chamber music quartet experience, can you share some of your ideas? Yeah. Yeah. I had a really serious quartet in my undergrad at Illinois and we rehearsed like 10, 12, 14 hours a week. It was like a lot every week. It was like a part-time job, Um, but we got really really good. Yeah. We got really good at listening. And I think that's like the sole thing that's important about being a musician period probably is just listening and being able to respond to others and also like being able to hear yourself in a non-biased way um that's so important and i think that's something that i've learned as a chamber musician is just how closely can you listen how well can you hear when the ensemble's not quite together when the intonation's not quite there when the character's not matching when your bow strokes aren't the same, when your intention's not the same. And those are things that like, if you're a casual, if you're casually rehearsing, it can all sound like kind of fine and you know something's not quite right, but you don't know how to fix it. And I think like that's a really important skill is being able to identify the problems and like being able to listen so closely that you know what's going on. Um, Yeah, and quartet, like playing in quartet and getting those really ringing chords has been like also very, very formative for just my solo playing um, even because being able to hear tonality like that quickly and in like vertical form is so important. Cause I think as violinists, we tend to hear it melodically, which is important too and really good, but being able to like something that I've had a hard time with is playing with piano because piano is in like, you know, equal temperament. And so like being able to hear when I'm out of tune with the piano is harder for me than hearing when I'm out of tune with the string quartet. But being in quartet so intensely has helped me be able to adjust to piano because I can hear those differences in intonation, um, which I think like when I was younger, I would just play with piano and it's like, my intonation is my intonation. I don't really care. (laughs) But like, you also have to listen to the piano, um, especially when you're playing unison. So anyway, that was a really long tangent of just the point is learning to listen. And that's something that not everyone can do, but everyone can get better at. I teach this to my students as well, trying to open up your ears with what's around you and try to get your eyes out of the music because i think our eyes can often be a crutch yeah our eyes can often be a crutch to the music just by fear just like reading the notes but i think there is value in chamber music that i have learned as well in learning how to make good musical artistic and intonation choices because not everything is going to sound in tune and as a group i know i've talk to quartets on the violin podcast where intonation is a really talked about subject. Do we want to do things in equal temperament? 
particularly if you're playing like a piano quintet. You know, you want to make sure you're in tune with the piano or if you're playing in just intonation. I have found that a lot of groups who have been together for a very long time, maybe like Danish string quartet comes to mind. Their intonation is just out of this world, you know, and they have, to me, I found, I, I wish to interview them on the violin podcast, hopefully in the future about intonation and how they discuss intonation. But I find that just kind of having four minds in a group to be like one is so tough and challenging, but that's why we do it. We don't do things because it's easy. We do them because it's hard. Yeah. And I find that the, the level of musicianship can really go further with chamber music because you have Mm -hmm. the solo line and you have leadership over your own part. And I actually, I'm so happy to hear that you play second violin because I love playing second violin. I like being with the viola. I love being with the cello and occasionally with the first. I like being a little bit of everywhere. You know, it's kind of boring just to have the melody every once in a while, like all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Something you said that struck a chord, no pun intended, was, uh, (laughs) was thinking of music vertically, thinking harmonically while a lot of violins think melodically and horizontally. And I think, I guess that depends on what composer you're really playing. So that's that's also another power tip for anyone who is in chamber music to think of harmony in your string group, in your quartet. I think that's really valuable as well. But Alyssa, I have taken so much of your time and I really appreciate you coming on the Violin Podcast. If there was one thing that you can leave our audience with today in terms of like a music career, violin tips, chamber music, entrepreneurial endeavors. What can you offer our audience today? Oh, that's such a tough one to to put it into one one thing. I, I would say that my one tip is to always learn. I think that a lot of people decide at a certain point that they've learned all they can or that their life is just what it's going to be or they just have to work harder. And I think if you stay curious, you'll always find opportunity. Anywhere you look, you can create opportunity on your own. You can find opportunity because people know that you're looking for opportunity. Um, one of one of my mentors has told me this so many times. If you're looking for a job, ask for advice. If you're looking for advice, ask for a job. Or you can switch job with money. Um, and I think it's really important if you're ever looking for an opportunity, don't ask straight up about the opportunity. Ask the person for advice about how to get an opportunity like that because someone will either be like, oh, you're interested, let me help you, or they'll give you advice that you can go off and do it on your own. But if you ask directly, sometimes it comes across as needy or assertive or too forward, etc. So I really like this idea of just asking people for their opinions, for their advice, and it'll go, it'll go a long way. So stay curious, always learn, and opportunity will come to you. Friends, this was Alyssa Tong, the creator and leader of String Insiders. How can people get in touch with you or learn more about you, Alyssa? You can visit our website, stringinsiders.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram. Um, it's just string insiders, singular string, 
plural insiders. <laughs> and um, yeah, I am mostly on Instagram. I have a Facebook page and there's also a Facebook group. Um, but yeah, you can also feel free to email me, Alyssa at stringinsiders.com if you ever have a question and you want to reach out to me personally. Um, thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's been a pleasure to be on the Violin Podcast. Yeah, likewise. Hope to be in touch soon. Sounds great. Thank you.